Good morning. Hope you all are doing well today and had a blessed Thanksgiving. Uh, let's pray and then we'll look at God's word together. God, we thank you for today and for this opportunity, God, to look at your word and to be challenged by you. God, today as we look at these three phrases that define our story with you, God, I pray that you would show us who you are and that you would captivate us by the message of the gospel once again. This is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever been drawn into a story? Maybe that story is a book series that you're in, or maybe you're like me and you watch Netflix and you get to that third episode and the little man knocks on the screen, are you still awake? The story is still going. Or maybe you're a little tired this morning because last night you got captivated into a story of Texas A&M and LSU that went to seven overtimes. We love stories. Stories derive their greatness because they reflect a greater story. There's a great story that each one of our little stories is a part of. It's where we find the true meaning in our lives, the longings of our heart, the purpose behind our lives, and the basis for our hope are all found in a great story. This morning we're going to go into a journey to the most epic story ever told, the story of the Bible. And I've subtitled this message, God is for you. We live in a world where many people would doubt the goodness of God. We live in a world where many see God as distant and irrelevant for their daily lives. We live in a world where many picture God as a judge waiting to hand out a punishment for their latest mistakes. The story of God at its heart is a story of a divine pursuit. It's a God who chases after his people, a God who is for us. If you have your Bibles, we're going to begin at the beginning of the story in Genesis chapter 1. And this morning we're going to explore three Biblical phrases that help frame the story and our story in light of God's story. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26, the author writes this. Then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over everything on earth, and over every creepy thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. First on your sheet is the idea of imago Dei. Imago Dei is a Latin term that is used to describe the image of God. We are made in the image of God. We are made in the image of God. Genesis chapter 1, we see God creating the world through his voice. He says, let there be light and there's light. He creates the world as we know it. And then we come to this creation of man and man is set apart from the rest of creation. Man has value because he was created in the image of God and created to reflect God's image to the world. Your sense of beauty, value, and worth come from the fact that you were created by God. You're the special creation of the God of the universe. In Genesis chapter 2, we see a zoom in on creation where the author zooms into the creation of man and woman. And the text says this in Genesis 2, 7. It says this, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living creature. You see, God is a potter with the clay. He puts the clay together. And then the beautiful clay formation gets the breath of God and comes to life. We were created on your sheet by God as the pinnacle of his creative expression. And our significance comes from him. We were created by God as the pinnacle of his creative expression. 
and our significance comes from him. But unfortunately, the story does not end with this perfect picture of a man and a woman in a perfect world in perfect relation to God. Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, they fell into sin. They made the decision that we so often make that we know better than God and we think we have a better plan for our lives than God does. This decision to buck God's authority led to a world that is sinful and led to destruction and pain in the world. We see that even in our world today. We see that even in our town. When sixth grade girls go to the Galleria Mall on a Friday to shop with their family, on a Thursday to shop with their family and end up getting shot in the process. We see brokenness. We see hurt. We see pain. We see the fact that our world is messed up and broken. And how we see the beauty of creation is we see what happens after the fact. In Genesis chapter 3, we see God and Adam and Eve having what they probably had many days, a walk together in the garden, this time of communion, this time of fellowship, this time of intimacy with one another. And the text reads this way, Genesis 3, 8 through 10. And they heard the sound of the Lord God. He was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees of the garden. You see that this is probably a daily thing. And all of a sudden it's changed. It's called sin. Sin has changed the relationship. All of a sudden now the God that they love, the God that they felt accepted by, the God that they knew valued them and created them to reflect who he was. There's a separation there. So they're hiding, and God calls to the man and says to him, where are you? When the God of the universe who knows everything asks this question, this question obviously isn't for God. Where are they? I can't find them. No, this is a question for Adam and for Eve. Where are you? It's a call. It's an invitation to relationship. It's an invitation to come back. It's an invitation to begin to have those conversations with you. Where are you? And he said, and the man said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Notice for the first time in creation, shame, fear, doubt, struggles with who we are and if we really matter enter into the picture. The daily walks with God, fully comfortable with who they were and who God made them to be, have faded away to hiding from this God and hiding from their sin. We see next on your sheet that sin marred and shattered the perfect image of the Imago Dei in relationship between God and us. Sin marred and shattered the perfect Imago Dei image of God in relationship between God and us. The perfect world that we were made for no longer exists. Now we all find ourselves like Adam and Eve wrestling with our own imperfections, our own sins, and our own failures. We need someone to set us free from those sins and failures. We need someone to invite us to come out of hiding. We need someone to take our shame away. We need someone to restore the Imago Dei that we were truly created to be. Let's continue in worship. We began with the idea of the Imago Dei, that we were made in the image of God, yet sin shattered the picture of God that we displayed to the world, and our ultimately our relationship with our creator. We are broken people in need of a rescuer. That is why God sent his son, Jesus. He perfectly reflected the image of God that we were made to reflect. 
He was God in human flesh. He lived a life that we couldn't live. A life free from sin and a life free from guilt and a life that fully displayed the image of God to the world that God had truly made us to be. In the middle of a broken world full of shattered people, God sent his son, the perfect one. On the surface, this could be really frustrating news for us because Jesus is the perfect one that we could never be. No matter how hard we try, no matter how good we think we are, we can never truly reflect the Imago Dei, the image of God that we were made to be. If Jesus stands simply as an example for us or a good teacher for us to follow, we will live forever frustrated because we can never live up to that example. But thankfully, Jesus came to be more than an example. He came to be a savior and a rescuer. Jesus not only lived out the perfect Imago Dei, but he also died for our failures to follow God and to reflect him to the world. Jesus came as the savior He came to live the perfect life for you and for me. He came to take the punishment for sin that we deserve to die. And he came to restore us again to God. In John 19, we see one of Jesus' cries from the cross, which is where we see our second biblical phrase. Please join me in John 19, 30. And this final statement from the cross is important because it not only redefines Jesus' story, but it redefines our own stories as well. John 19, verse 30. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Tetelestai is the Greek word. It is finished is one word in Greek. Tetelestai, it is finished. This single Greek word redefines everything for us. In reflecting on this word, Charles Spurgeon said that one would need all the other words that were ever spoken to explain it. It's altogether immeasurable. It is high. I cannot attain it. It is deep. I cannot fathom it. It is finished means that Jesus' work here on earth is done. He has completed his mission. He has fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament. He has brought salvation and new life to us. And he has taken our death and given us eternal life. Next on your sheet, as Followers of Jesus, our sins have been paid full at the cross. Our sins have been paid in full at the cross. We have been cleared, and the perfect Jesus has taken our place. The word tetelestai. Think about this. If you're like most Americans, one of your largest bills is your mortgage payment. Imagine tomorrow morning you go to the bank to pay your mortgage payment, and you go and they say, I'm sorry, sir, we can't find your account. There's no record here of you having a mortgage because Tetelestai has been written over the top of it. It is finished. It is paid. The mortgage is gone. You can imagine how for many people that would be a happy Christmas. Or you think about you end up in jail because you've done something wrong and you know that you're guilty and you find yourself in a courtroom before a judge and you know that there's nothing that you can say or nothing that you can do to get off. And the judge looks at you and says, on the top of your paper here, it says to Telestai, it's been finished. The price has been paid. That changes your life. Or you think about it, you close your eyes in this world and you open your eyes in eternity and you find yourself standing before God the judge. And you realize that your perfect wasn't perfect enough, even if the game did work that way, which it doesn't. 
You stand before God and you feel the condemnation of your sin and you feel that your enough was never enough. But Jesus comes and Jesus goes, here's his record. And guess what's stamped on the top of it? In the blood of my cross is to tell us die. It is finished. I have taken the place. I have taken the penalty. I have taken the sin. This changes everything. Because of Tetelestai, everything has changed. We've been set free from our sin and our punishment. We've been freed from our guilt. We've been given eternal life, and we've been restored to reflect the image of God, that Mago Day once again. We have been freed to live a different life. We have been freed to live a different life. Those people whose mortgage was written off in a day. Those who walked out of the courtroom a free person cannot help but live a new life. We've been set free to follow after Jesus. And though we cannot perfectly reflect the Imago Dei to the world because we still struggle with sin, God sees us as perfect because of Jesus. When God looks at you, he does not see your failure if you're a follower of Jesus. He sees Christ's perfection and this changes everything. Our failures are gone. We've been forgiven. We've been transformed. We've been redeemed and we've been changed. So we're free to live a new life. But that life isn't on our own. So often we think, well, Jesus has saved me from hell and handled eternity and I'm going to pull the rest off on our own. That's not the Christian life we were called to live. It's through God working through us and the Holy Spirit changing us that we become more and more like him. It's in our surrender to his work that we change. But the beauty of the gospel is that the story doesn't stop with Tetelestai. The sin that marred us in all of creation will one day totally be redeemed in eternity. And in the meantime, we will wait with hope for the results of this final transformation. Let's continue worship together. Before we finish the story, I have a side story for us. Um, yesterday, um, Liz and I were blessed to be able to go to a football game that I was not supposed to talk about today. And so we're going to talk about an encode language. So in case you're unaware, there are two different schools in this state. One is represented by an elephant, and the other is represented by some eagle tigers. And the eagle tigers and the elephant played each other yesterday in a game of football. And so as we went to the game and we're sitting there, um, if aside, if you're not from the south, people in the south um, – all live in the same place. It doesn't matter whether you live in Mississippi or Alabama or Louisiana. We live around here. You ever heard around here? And so sometimes when you go to places, you see people that ain't from around here. And so as we were sitting in the stadium, uh, these people came in a little late, and they clearly weren't from around here. Um, they had um, they were dressed in a way that's kind of odd to football, and um, they also had an accent that we didn't recognize around here. And so they came in, and they sat down the row from us, and as they're sitting, uh, we're watching the game, and it's a few minutes before halftime. And I don't know about you, but there are certain people that have to have the $12 hot dog before everybody else. So they got to rush out before halftime to make sure they're the first one in line. So the $12 people have rushed out, and then these people come by, and the guy walks right beside me and goes, cheers, and then him and his fan, family walks out of the stadium. And I looked at Liz, and I thought, cheers, that's kind of weird. Like, the game's not over. What's going on? And so I'm like, surely they didn't leave at halftime and think the game was only two quarters. 
And so fast forward, we're at the end of halftime. It's been time for those who have spent a little more time and more money than they should at the concession stand to make it back. And they don't show up. And so I look at Liz and it's like, they've left. Awesome. We have more room. And so we got to spread out and it was great. But what's interesting is these people who aren't from around here said cheers halfway through the game and walked off. When we think about our faith and we think about this story of Jesus, the temptation in church and in our lives is to say cheers at this point and to walk off. We've been forgiven. Jesus has saved us. He's forgiven our sins. That's the end of the story. Cheers. Let's move on with life. There's a, just like there's a second half of football, there's a second coming of Jesus. And the second coming of Jesus reframes everything. So we began with this picture of the Imago Day. That Jesus came to make us people to reflect him to the world, but we were broken because of sin. And that Jesus restored us and said it is finished at the cross. And now we turn to Revelation to the final chapter. So if you have your Bibles, we're headed to Revelation chapter 20. We've been going through Revelation some in the last few months here at Meadowbrook. And at this point in the book, Jesus has returned. The cosmic battle has been won. Christ stands as the victor over Satan, death, and evil. And Jesus is in the business of restoring the Imago Dei. Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. All things new. So our third phrase, at the end of the story, we see this picture of restoration. Jesus is putting everything back and making everything the way it was meant to be. There's a world where there's no more tears, no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. Because as we see on your sheet, that Jesus takes away the scars of sin from his creation. Jesus takes away the scars of sin from his creation. All these things that so often consume us. All the brokenness in our world has been erased. These things have died and are no more because of Jesus. Jesus takes these things away. But also we see next is that Jesus invites us into a perfect world in eternity with him. Jesus invites us into a perfect world in eternity with him. In verse, the second part of verse 3, it says, verse 3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. We see this world that we saw in Genesis, this world of walking with God in the garden in the cool of the day, this restored relationship and this restored intimacy. This is a world that we cannot even begin to imagine. We will dwell with God as his people and he will be our God. This is who we were made to be. Our hearts at their core long for this. We were made not for this world but for eternity. 
Imagine living fully alive with God in the world that you were made for. This is our gospel hope. We live in a world that's constantly looking for this hope. We try to find this hope in our own success, our financial stability, the health of our family. Parents sometimes find it in the success of their children. We look everywhere for this hope. But our true hope is not found in any of these things. Your true hope is found in embracing your role in the greatest story ever told. True hope is found in embracing your role in the greatest story ever told. C.S. Lewis said this, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. It is this journey into this other world that changes everything for you. So this morning, maybe you've never connected to the larger story of God. You have a God who is for you. You have a God who loves you. You have a God who wants a relationship with you. He wants to transform your life and give you freedom from your sins and one day welcome you into eternity with him. How you begin this relationship with God is simple. You turn from your sins and trust in Jesus. He's the one who died to take your place. He rose from the dead proving that he was God and he can take your place and exchange your sinful broken life for his perfect sinless life. Please turn and trust Jesus today. If you want to talk to somebody about that, I'll be here. James will be in the back. David's around. There's other staff and people in this room that would love to talk to you about what it means to have a relationship with Christ. This morning, maybe you're already a follower of Jesus. As followers of Jesus, it's easy for us to lose sight of this hope. We lose focus. We forget who we are. But there are three things we're called to remember. First, remember that because of the Imago Dei, the image of God, that God made you in his image And your value comes from him. Second today, remember that because of Tetelestai, it is finished. You stand forgiven and free to follow Jesus because he took your place. And remember because of all things new, that one day the darkness of this world will part and we will behold the sun. We will see him face to face and he will lead us to the home, to the place that our hearts were truly made for. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the gospel hope. God, we thank you that the story doesn't end at the cross or even at the resurrection. But God, you're in the business of putting all broken things back together. God, today, for those of us in this room who may not know you, God, today I pray that you would lead them to you and to a point of repentance and following after you. God, for those in this room who do know you, God, remind us of our identity. God, remind us that we're forgiven. And God, remind us that we're not home yet. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.